Who wouldn't like to be mortgage-free? Are there really shortcuts to paying off your loan faster that won't mean you need to live like a miser? What sacrifices are worth making in order to live debt-free? And if you knew them, would you make them? Do you even know anybody your own age who is mortgage-free? So I always say it's moderation, not deprivation. And it's, you know, it's similar to, to health. Wealth has to be that same sort of goal-setting mindset, but not to the detriment of your life every day. You've got to reward yourself along the way because let's face it, you could die tomorrow. Like you've got to make life, life is for living, money is for spending, just not all at once. Um, so you need to come up with the, the sort of slice and dice of your salary that works for you and it's something that you can live with and maintain over the long term as well. So, of course, that old mantra, saving 10%, you know, for future you, I call it, like that's always something that you should do. And that's the really big stuff. So whether it's a mortgage first, whether it's extra into um, investment, you know, above and beyond superannuation, that's always something that should be sort of untouchable. And then besides that, you can split what's surplus in your budget between, you know, the now, the spend now, the spend later. Because don't forget, you are getting to spend it, just not all at once. Welcome to The Elephant in the Room. This is the podcast where we love to talk about the big things in property that never usually get talked about. I'm Veronica Morgan, real estate agent, buyer's agent, co-host of Foxtel's Location, Location, Location Australia and author of Auction Ready. And I'm Chris Bates, mortgage broker. Before we get started, I need to let you know that nothing we say on here can be taken as personal advice. We always recommend you engage the services of a professional. Don't forget that you can access the transcript for this episode on the website as well as down Download our free full or forecast report. Which experts can you trust to get it right? Theelephantintheroom.com.au Today we're talking to Nicole Pedersen-McKinnon. Not only is she mortgage-free, but she's met a lot of other people who have also paid off their homes and we'd like to find out some of their secrets. Nicole is a long-time money commentator, financial literacy campaigner and educator. Her money insights have appeared in the Sydney Morning Herald, Sun Herald and the Sunday Age for more than 15 years and she was formerly the editor of the Australian Financial Review's Smart Investor magazine. Now, for the past six years, Nicole has also been delivering her Smart Money Start financial literacy program to graduating high school students and via her Nicole's Smart Money YouTube channel. More recently, she's released a new book, called How to Get Mortgage Free Like Me, in which real Aussies reveal how they've accomplished the real Australian dream faster, smarter and cheaper. So thank you so much for joining us today to share some of the secrets. And I think you've got some elephants for us too, which are great to share. Uh, Nicole, thanks for coming along. Thank you so much for having me, guys. Uh, Hi, Nicole. Thank you so much as well. I mean, I think most people have probably seen your name around the the traps, I guess. So it's uh, <laughs> my very long name. <laughs> yeah, a pleasure to have you on. I mean, before we go down the mortgage route, which I think is a really going to be a, and debt free is a really interesting topic, um, which will go down. But mm. taking a step back, I mean, why is financial literacy just so important to you? And you've kind of dedicated your life to that space. Yeah, I have. That's that's a very good way of putting it. Look, it's it's life changing. So, uh, you know, if you have security over your money and your finances, it allows you to live your best life. So mm. that's that's a life with options, um, with free will. You know, it's it's to live where you want, to work where you want, to do where you want in terms of that work life balance, as opposed to getting strong armed into you know, keep staying in a job that you don't enjoy and because you need that, you have that requirement for that X amount of money. I mean, I mean, going straight in here, um, one of the beautiful debt-free families who shared their very personal and private journeys with me so that readers could, could replicate them in my book, he was a mechanic for probably 25 years, absolutely hated being a mechanic, like hated it. It's yeah. hot work, it's hard work. And by that point in your career, it's very boring work as well. So mm-hmm. pressured, um, et cetera, they got rid of their mortgage and he actually quit his job took on an apprenticeship as a builder, as a mature-aged man, and loves what he's doing. But he could take that 20 grand pay cut because he didn't have a mortgage anymore. And he, the man was just bursting out of his skin when I met him. At first I thought I was making him nervous, but I, then I realized he was just so excited, just couldn't <laughs> wait to tell me that like his life had changed because mm. all of a sudden he had this freedom. 
And that's financial literacy. That's what, I mean, they, they were super clever in the way they did it and they executed this brilliant strategy, which is in my book and it worked. It worked and it changed everything for them. And we will get to obviously some of those, um, you know, I guess the bait, you know, some of those little tiddlers you're going to give us mm. so that we were tempted to buy your book, obviously, and we'll put the link <laughs> yeah. in the show notes. Okay. <laughs> but I think it's interesting that you talk about the options and the freedom mm. that come from being mortgage-free and yet, you know, so I deal in Home Buyer Academy, I deal with so many first home buyers and they're all dying to get into debt, you know. So yeah. it's interesting how you, 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 we aspire to owning uh, our own home and yet it can become a manacle. So... You know, well, that's right. And I mean, I mean, right now you're talking about the government um, massively uh, relaxing lending standards uh, because they want to stimulate the economy and, and get us out of this COVID economy. Mm. You know, they want they want we, the people, to borrow with our ears pinned back so that we yeah. can spend through this thing and, and like help them, stop them from spending so much because they've obviously put in so much already. But that's super difficult and super problematic and super dangerous because if people borrow too much, then you're going to get overcommitted. You risk a debt spiral, mm. and that's when it's very difficult to ever become mortgage-free. I think the interesting thing with financial literacy is you said that word options, which Veronica picked up on mm. as well. If you, you know, just because you, uh, we live in a beautiful country, um, but then not everyone's got the same options every no. day. Not everyone can, you know, uh, work the same hours, can work, can earn the same money, can live in the same places, etc. And I guess what financial does, financial literacy or financial empowerment, um, et cetera, allows you to have more options. Um, and I guess completely if you have different options, it can be a completely different life. You could live, your neighbour could be living a completely different life to you. That's and right. Yes. The difference there is, I guess, knowledge around finances potentially. It is. And it's like there are just, there are sort of tips and traps, particularly when it comes to a mortgage, that can make the difference, you know, of $100,000 in terms of $100,000 that you've thrown away in interest mm. that you didn't need to do if you just knew how to work the system. So if you just had a couple of little bits of knowledge, it makes an enormous difference uh, to your mortgage and, of course, the speed with which you get out of debt as well. So it is, it's, it's so vital. It's a complex system we've built up, you know, unfortunately. Yeah, that- but it doesn't take that much to kind of navigate it by the same token. It's interesting, isn't it? Because, I mean, you're saying 100000 so you're saying that what, on an average mortgage over the life of the mortgage? Is that the sort of? Yes, yes, yeah. that's right. I mean, there's yes, yeah, absolutely, yeah. And don't miss the fact as well, I mean, guess is a motivating thing for listeners, don't miss the fact that, you know, we had interest rates of, of 8% 10 years mm. ago. So, you know, that was that was like $900,000 to repay yeah. your average $400,000 mortgage, whereas now that's dropped to like $600,000. So it is cheaper automatically because of the function of rates being at these super crazy record lows. So if you kind of mobilize and pay off your mortgage now, it's cheaper than it's ever going to be. You know, you're going to yeah. save so much money. Do you think we're getting smarter with money or uh, I know you've been a around the money world for some time, um, you know, and and so, I mean, what's your thoughts on terms of, you know, out there as a, as a general population, are we getting more shrewd, I guess, more savvy, or are we even potentially going the other way? And, um, you know, I guess the world sort of perpetuates that sort of uh, spending, I guess. That's a really interesting question. I would, I think there's a difference between the high school graduates and the people who've sort of learnt the the expensive um, school of hard knocks kind of way. Um, so I think probably people who are out and about already and have some experience um, are getting smarter with money. Um, that's not to say that they don't succumb to the temptations of borrowing too much because that's just really seductive, you know. Mm. If you don't have those tight lending uh, restrictions in place that we have right now, then it is easy to go, oh, do you know what, that house is much nicer than that house. I'd much rather take on 100 grand more debt. Um, but then you've got the high school graduates who are becoming very despondent because of the still very high level of property prices and they've sort of almost disengaged from it. I mean, there is financial literacy in schools, like the, the Financial Literacy Board and Paul Clitheroe heading that um, and yeah. I, I work very closely with them mm-hmm. and, and, in fact, MC their, um, their updates to the parliamentarians in Canberra. Um, they've, been, they've been working for years to get financial literacy into school. Even so, the kids who are coming out of the school gates are just going, you know what, throwing their hands up in the air and going, we're never going to get ahead financially because we're starting so far behind. And the problem is that they're the targets of all of these fintech 
um, kind of innovations as well. I mean, you've got all yes. this, you know, get your pay early stuff that's mm. come out now. You've got this buy now, pay later. So there are a lot of temptations that you need to know how to resist. Well, Dad's a funny thing because uh, as soon as you leave school, uh, I remember when I was mm. 18, I was earning, I think it was like 13000 or something as a junior accountant, like yeah. training. And I had a $10,000 credit card limit. And I was like, yeah. I was just, the first thing started off at a thousand. I was like, oh, I want to see if I can increase this. I wasn't, I was, wasn't spending it, but I was just, I was playing the system to see what I could get up to, just out of curiosity. Yeah. $10,000. I'm like, I own $13,000 a year and you, I've got a $10,000 credit card limit. Isn't just, that so interesting? And look, that's what it used to be like. But then, you know, there's been 10 years of hard fought consumer protections in there. And yes, they're frustrating if you want access to cash quickly or if yeah. you want that home loan, but they're there for a reason. You know, they're there to stop what we saw come out in the, the Banking Royal Commission. But the government yeah. wants to throw those out at the moment. So there's there's lobbying going on to just try and keep some um, some sensible rules in there as well. Because you can imagine that, you know, if people just throw their hands up in the air and say, well, look, you know, I'm never going to be able to afford a house. Why bother save? Why exactly. bother? Yeah. I might as well oh. just get what I can and just live life for today. That's it. And, and I mean, and then you get, you get a year like we've had, right, where there's, mm. you know, we started with this fiery apocalypse, which was just terrifying, and then we went straight into the pandemic uh, in March. And in terms of getting people to think long term, why on earth would you? You know what yeah. I mean? So, but, but it is just so life-changing that people do need to, to do it. And I think the other thing that all of that has highlighted is that security, you know, the, the roof over your head being fully paid off is the very best way of protecting yourself if you do lose a job or if things do go wrong. So there is a real important safety message there that people are getting. I mean, obviously we're talking being mortgage-free and we're assuming that's the family home or your home if you, yes. you know. As, um, as the first port of call, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, do you, are you an advocate for not borrowing to invest? No, no, I'm an advocate for borrowing to invest, absolutely, but you need to do it the right way and the smart way. So you need your home to be on a principal and interest basis and pay that baby off as quick as possible because that is non-deductible, you know, Mm. that's non-tax deductible, that's doing nothing Mm. but hold you back. That interest is throwing away money. It's donating it to a lender. Um, And it's okay, though, while you've still got that home, to have your investment debt on an interest-only basis because that frees up more money to throw at your home. But once you get rid of your home, I'm an advocate of paying off your investments as well because there's nothing more beautiful in retirement than, you know, than, than a, a steady income stream that's 100% yours. What do you think that's psychological though that <laughs> when you get that, uh, let's say you don't get the, I mean, you could get the title deed or you could keep your mortgage at $100 and it's mm. almost the same thing, right? But what do you think when you get to that stage psychologically, how do things shift um, in terms of how you look at the world through obviously all your stories? like. I know you spoke about the mechanic there, but what are some, I guess, broad things that you think you start to look at the world differently? Oh, in in every way, to be honest. Like um, I guess that was an example of jobs, but then – you know, where you live could change. You, We've seen all this sort of remote working kind of um, ability come up because of the the uh, lockdowns and um, people working from home. Um, mm. You, I mean, having no mortgage makes that even more feasible to do. Um, yeah. Spending more time with your children. Like I interviewed this beautiful family where the man, he was, he's crazy actually. He saved a $300,000 deposit. He he was working three jobs. You know, he was an, he was an engineer. He was doing some FIFO, but then he'd come back and he'd work back at the restaurant that he worked at all through university and he'd busk. He was just, just obsessive about saving for a deposit. And mm. then of course, once he finally committed to, to property, he bought a duplex and he was obsessive about paying that down. Mm. Now, because he did that, when he met the woman of his dreams and they um, quickly after were becoming parents, he only has to work part-time and he can spend half of his week with his new baby because Mm. they live in a free house. Half of that duplex is completely free and the other half has that rent coming in. So, you know, just in terms of life and balance, it's it's remarkable. And he's watching his brother-in-law, you know, commute 20 hours a week, um, you know, do the nine hours when he gets there, come home, the kids are in bed. It's, you know, it's a completely different scenario. So it can be a really beautiful thing. It's, um, it, it's you know, a very inspiring story. It reminds me sort of the flip side of that. I wonder, have you heard of the term financial anorexia? Oh, no. So now I'm just plucked, this literally just became a, a memory, is a memory from when we were filming the show, uh, Location, yeah. Location, Location, and we had, we had some people that had saved up 
over many, many years, I think they'd saved up $1.6 million. Oh, wow. And uh, they were, you know, looking to buy a home and it was, a, they didn't buy, to my knowledge, um, that certainly didn't buy while we were filming with them. Mm. And it was something that, that Bryce and I were having this conversation around the concept of financial an- anorexia where, you know, it's a dysmor- it's basically financial dysmorphia where mm. you, you look at your bank account, it doesn't feel like enough. You know, they'd saved all this money and then they couldn't spend it. Um, yeah. And so sometimes I wonder if people have got this a mad savers, you know, that that's that yeah. a mindset to get out of that to actually become property owner could be quite difficult or, yeah. or potentially someone's has three jobs. How do they switch? Like they yeah. have to be a particular type of person to say, right, well, that's it. Now I'm going to oh. go part time and I'm fine with that. With, with, without a doubt. And I think, you know, having that baby was life changing for him because his focus shifted yeah. from this, this like kind of, oh, unbelievably zealous, um, you know, <laughs> acquisition kind of or, or money focus to this little man. So, and I guess the, the fact that he'd done that first step enabled the second step. So, yeah, full credit to him for being able to go, do you know what? It's enough now. Now mm. I stop. Yeah, because so, that's the thing. It's enough. Yeah. That's a really interesting concept, isn't it? Yeah, it is. It is. And that's, yeah, that, I think I have that. I have that, like the level of relaxation that I have having paid off my mortgage is is extreme and I'm not obsessive about money anymore. And I was, I 100% was. Like I remember um, we were living in the UK and we were sending money back all the time and we decided to get married. And we, so we saved for, you know, six months. We didn't go out. We sort of really buckled down and did it because that's what I'm like. And thankfully, you know, I always say you can't just marry your funny match. You got to marry your money match as well. Thankfully, my, my husband was like that as well. So <laughs> we came home, we did, we did the wedding, came home, um, spent three months traveling, went back to London and had four pounds left. Like it completely worked. And that was the level of kind of planning and budgeting that, I was at, but now I don't have a mortgage. I'm super relaxed about money, you know, to, to an, compared with that person I was before. It's interesting. A lot of it comes from uh, my financial beliefs, I guess, financial mm. values. Um, there's lots and lots of books that they delve, delve into sort of childhood and. Oh, you've hit the nail on the head. So um, my parents will hate me talking about this, but um, I've, I've said it public already. It's in the book. Um, so my, my parents invested um, in a coffee shop way before coffee was cool. Um, God, it would have been in the 1980s and they went into debt to do it and it was, it went bad and they yeah. ended up with this debt for nothing. So my mm. childhood was shaped by debt, like bad debt. Um, and everything was about paying off that debt. And I remember the celebration when we did it. And, uh, and of course the, you know, that money issues cause friction. Mm. They do. So I, you know, I was determined that I wasn't going to have debt when I had, by the time I had children. And that was my, that was my driving force and we didn't. So yeah. yeah, that's the thing. And different cultures, like different backgrounds, have different um, attitudes to money, I guess. Um, and then mm. some very ingrained that in their children more than other cultures. Um, Absolutely. And then if, if you haven't, and then different parents have different financial knowledge. So if you haven't got um, great understanding of investing or debt or mortgages, et cetera, then you can't even pass that on to your kids. And so. That's it. Of, of years after years. Hey, that's absolutely right. Yeah, it's interesting that people versus who that that new person you spoke about, Veronica, the one point six, and um, even Nicole, where you said the person saved three hundred. We see those clients who have yeah. saved extremely hard. Um, but I always wonder if is is the compromise worth it through the years through their twenties? Because um, yes. you've got on the other side who potentially have holiday or home, holiday, holiday. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. How do you think? you know, that people should be thinking, let's say in their 20s, let's say, and they, they want aspirations for home ownership. They think it's maybe un, unachievable but still should pursue that. How do you think you manage the spend today versus save for tomorrow? So I always say it's moderation, not deprivation, and it's, you know, it's similar to, to health. Wealth has to be that same sort of goal-setting mindset but not to the detriment of your life every day. You've got to mm-hmm. reward yourself along the way because let's face it, you could die tomorrow. Like you've got to make life, life is for living, money is for spending, just not all at once. Um, so you need to come up with the, the sort of slice and dice of your salary that works for you and it's something that you can live with and maintain over the long term as well. So, mm-hmm. of course, that old mantra, saving 10%, you know, for future you, I call it, like that's 
always something that you should do. And that's the really yeah. big stuff. So whether it's a mortgage first, whether it's extra into um, investment, you know, above and beyond superannuation, that's always something that should be sort of untouchable. And then besides that, you can split what's surplus in your budget between, you know, the now, the spend now, the spend later. Because don't forget, you are getting to spend it, just not all at once. Yeah. <laughs> or not before you get it. Oh, not before you get it. Absolutely. And yeah, I mean, all these fintech you know, innovations that let you do that. I mean, oh my God, it's horrifying. You know, of course, because you pay more. It's like, even if it's not technically interest, there is still some sort of fee for that, which means that your money doesn't go as far. So it's just not sensible, you know? Exactly. Yeah. There's a line, it's a Homer Simpson quote that I've always loved is that that's a problem for future Homer. Well, yeah, I, I don't envy that guy. <laughs> I spend my life because I've, you know, I, with with young children, food is a great proxy for teaching about money. So I spend my life saying to to my little ones, you know, do you really want to eat all those biscuits? Because think of future you, you know, think of future Darcy. There'll be no biscuits left. And my, my kids generally go, we don't care about future Darcy. <laughs> Just eat yeah. all the biscuits now, Darcy. <laughs> In fact, you know what? One will eat them all and cry because they've run out, and the other one will save all of them for future Byron. So it's it's interesting that it is um, seems very hardwired in nature. Our, yes, that's it. It's there, there's inherent biases in all of that stuff, which feed into how we deal with our money. Well, that's an interesting point because there's been research and behavioural biases out there that we mm. find extremely hard to connect with ourselves in the future, our future self. Um, yes. And what paying debt off is is basically saying that you know I'm thinking about myself in my 40s and my 50s, 60s, 70s. And I'm going to start, you know, do things today that will help me get there. Um, how, do, how do you really get that connection to build that sort of life with what it's going to be worth? It's actually yeah. the whole process of paying down debt is actually going to be worth it. How do you get that connection? With numbers because I just find that that's, that's what drives it home to people. So you can do your goal setting, your, you know, your, your goal board or whatever, your target uh, and your pictures and whatever else that's fantastic of course you know in terms of holidays and blah, blah, blah. with debt I find it's numbers because I mean let's look at one of my top strategies to paying down because because the book is about doing it the cheap you know the cheat ways basically like yes you can throw extra money at your debt which of course helps massively but that's hard finding extra money is hard uh, particularly probably right now for a lot of people mm. but there are ways of doing it for free literally if you know what you're doing so, you know, right now we've got this massive differential between um, the big four uh, mortgage rates, standard variable rate, and the best quality, not cheap and cheerful, but quality loans in the market. Um, so mm. those that come with real offset accounts, which I'm sure we'll delve into a bit more later. So if mm -hmm. you refinance the average $400,000 loan today, which tens of thousands of people are doing because there's just this blowout into two and a half percent, in fact. So the big four are charging four and a half percent on their standard variable rate. Uh, the cheapest ones are down at two percent. So that blowout on a four hundred thousand dollar loan means that if you what's called up stumps but still stump up, so move your mortgage but don't move your repayment, as it were, just keep it the mm -hmm. same. So you're paying yeah. not one cent extra than you're used to paying now. That's actually going to save you one hundred ninety one thousand dollars and get you out of debt seven years early. And that's on a $400,000 loan. That's and right. the average loan, I would imagine, is a fair bit bigger than that? Uh, well, the average is four hundred, but don't forget that's around the country. So you're talking mm. regionally and everything else. So, I mean, yeah, if you're looking at Sydney and Melbourne, then your potential savings are much bigger than that. So, mm. you know, just making that one move and then committing to keep your repayments the same is just ridiculous. Like your loan, your loan interest falls from uh, $270,000 almost to $75,000. And wow. you get to keep the excess. So I just, I think it's a no-brainer. Yes. <laughs> Why would you give that money away? <laughs> That's a lot of holidays. Yeah, the thing that really blown that out, though, has happened over the last six years. So, um, and, you know, if you bought a house in, say, 2015 or you refinanced five years ago, you think, well, how things couldn't have moved that much in terms oh, of yeah. pricing of mortgages. But there has been this uh, apathy. Absolutely. But the lax tax, I call it, you know, it's and that's what that's what banks and all financial providers rely on. Like, you know, you know, your every utility and insurer um, wants you to just let that product slide because they're going to progressively charge you more over time. It's the leech factor, you know. Mm. 
yeah, and they, they take advantage of obviously the existing customers, it's not yes. just finance, it's-, well, it's it's the strategy, you know, so, but, and that's why it's important to be vigilant about this stuff, but you know, that's time consuming for people. If you do it on one thing only, do it on your mortgage because it's $191,000 potentially. So it, that's life-changing, you know. It's a few extra years working on the average salary, right? Oh, right. Like it's retirement. A couple of years early, you know. Mm. It's, yeah, absolutely. Yes, I'm, I'm sold. So <laughs> <laughs> it's, I mean, you talk about borrowing safely as well because obviously, yeah. you know, there's so much money, uh, well, low interest rates make, make um the potential to borrow more and obviously if the government gets this legislation through to relax lending requirements etc cetera, etc cetera, and mm. great australian dream is to buy property and then there's also lots of government incentives to try to, to do it yeah yeah absolutely so yeah what i mean and you've got to structure it we were always talking about structuring your loan properly but borrowing yeah. safely you know it's hard and i know myself with my clients you know certainly before 2016 i'd have a lot of clients come to me and they say oh well the bank will lend me a million but i don't oh, want to borrow that much absolutely. i only want to borrow 800 or, yeah. or the bank, you know whatever and uh, nearly every client would come in saying that i'm shocked yeah. at how much the bank will lend me and uh and then it flipped of course because lending yeah, then it up became and then very the- difficult with the netflix test and everything yeah. else and, and, and all the credit <laughs> score issues you know but i mean we're going to we're going to return to what you described where the banks are just going to offer people um you know outrageous amounts of money which is going to be so tempting so mm. look, i i advocate like a two-step um uh, borrower beware kind of um, sanity check on what you are offered and mm. One of those is I really advocate a 20% deposit. It's not always possible, but there's just so much benefit to 20%. I mean, one is just the safety. If property prices do fall, you've got that equity buffer. And two is avoiding lender's mortgage insurance, um, which is which is just astronomical. And the third one as well is you can access cheaper interest rates. And those cheaper interest rates, I mean, I just gave you the example, that makes the world of difference to how much you pay overall. So, Twenty percent, if you if you absolutely can, is is worth it. It's worth the wait. You know, there's probably no tearing hurry to get into property right now. You can wait and save. You know, and the other thing is that once you get that twenty percent deposit and figure out what what that's going to cost you, what borrowing eighty percent is going to cost you, stress test that for say one or two percent in interest rate rises. No, it's not going to happen soon because we're in this crazy situation globally. But it could happen over a 25-year loan term. And don't forget as well that, you know, if one of you is going to, if, if you're going to have a baby and one of you is going to stay home to look after that baby, think about what your income is going to be and whether those potential mortgage repayments that you're committing to are going to really put you in financial stress, which don't forget is defined as, um, as committing one-third of your income to your mortgage. No more than that. No more than that. That's your ceiling. It's interesting. So um, I have a conversation. Being a broker, these are conversations that we have uh, every day with clients around uh, what's too much debt and et cetera. The, the 20% deposit one's an interesting one. I think um, by saving, uh, LNG's mortgage insurance, it, it's like an exponential curve. It gets gradually more expensive the higher percentage that you borrow. Um, yes. You know, 80 to 88%, you know, it, it's, uh, it's probably it doesn't really go up too much, like it's whether yeah. you borrow 82 or 88, but once you get a more than 88%, um, less than a 12% deposit, it jumps quite a lot. And then at 90%, it jumps a lot more after that. So we very rarely do loans yeah. for less than a 10% deposit. But Good to say, <laughs> if it's a house in Sydney or a house in Melbourne, for someone to save that extra annual 10%, mm. maybe $100,000, which that's right, that could take them two or three years. That's right. And, and I mean, if, if property prices are on the move, then it's probably not worth doing that. Yeah. Mm. And that, that's the kind of way up. And that's why I say, like, if at all feasible. But if you are talking city of Melbourne, it's probably not feasible. So you do need to, you know, probably tweak that. Well, that's an interesting point because there's yeah. been research and behavioural biases out there that we find extremely hard to connect with ourselves in the future, our future self. Um, and what yeah. paying debt off is, is basically saying yes. that, you know, I'm thinking about myself in my 40s and my Getting 50s, 60s, <laughs> 70s, and I'm going to start, yes, you know, sure. do things today that will help me get there. Um, how, how do you really get that connection to build that sort of life with what it's going to be worth? Yeah. It's actually the whole process of paying down debt is actually going to be worth it. How do you get that connection? Is Yeah. Paying that today. Oh, that's a great way of tricking yourself into it, you know, without too much discomfort to your brain or budget. Mm. Yeah, that's right. You yeah. Just get that yeah. And you start paying off your mortgage faster. And if rates rise, well, you're not worried because you've got lots of buffers. You've done, you, yes, absolutely. 
If you like what you're hearing here, please share this episode with others you feel would benefit. And while you're at it, why not leave us an iTunes review? Five stars, please. Every review helps make it easier for other people to find us and hear what our amazing guests have to say. We love hearing your questions and we're planning more listener Q&A episodes. Please send your questions in. You can send them via the website, which is theelephantintheroom.com.au or directly via email to questions at theelephantintheroom.com.au. Now, I think your third one there around, um, you know, I guess family, et cetera, it's, it's definitely, I think, the most important thing because that's super stressful for young families. They go Absolutely. into a lot of and then all of a sudden one wants to, you know, you do one of the family. Life changes. <laughs> yeah. so how, do you, how do you actually do that? What's the best way of sort of figuring out that period and making sure that you've got enough? Oh, look, you just have to think ahead. You know, you just have to, if you're buying a property, you need to be able to keep that property for seven years. And I would always advocate as well, not paying any extra into the mortgage, but paying all extra, every single dollar into offset accounts attached to the mortgage. (laughs) Because Mm. that just, I mean, offset accounts are a brilliant debt reduction technique, lovely little Aussie invention. Um, But also they give you that flexibility to turn it into an investment property if life changes. You know, if you do need to move somewhere else, if you need to move out and move home with parents because you can't afford mortgage repayments right now, so you need to get a tenant in there, that makes that a fully tax-deductible um, investment property potentially for you if life you know throws you a curveball or you decide to do something else that that income requirement falls so it's just really really powerful stuff to just keep those options open and also never buy a property for less than seven years anyway you know just keep those that kind of um, mm-hmm. time horizon in mind mm. Yeah, and on that, I mean, okay, so then fixed and variable rates because of course fixed means uh, are there, I don't think or are there any banks that offer a fixed rate with an offset? Look, there are some. They're normally substandard. It's becoming a little more common, but um, yeah, yeah, normally they're substandard. So, and that's one of the reasons that I only ever advocate fifty percent max in fixed rates because mm. those offset accounts are just so powerful. So, um, I just did a study uh, last week. Actually, there are a couple of lenders out there um, because a lot of lenders are doing this scam really at the moment, where they've massively cut fixed interest rates mm. and they've not passed through the cuts on their variable rates. So it's mm. again that strategy where you get people through the door and you get them to stay beyond the fixed rate period because it, life's busy and it's too hard to yeah. refinance your mortgage. And they're leaping up some two and a half percent onto the variable rate. So I did a study where um, I sort of highlighted a couple of lenders that have like very low fixed rates and very low variable rates so that you can execute that 50-50 split from day one and you can get the best of both worlds with that offset account attached to the variable rate. So this is, I've always wondered because, of course, when I had my first mortgage, we've been talking a long time ago now, <laughs> um, the fixed rate was always more than the variable, right? Yeah, and I know. The risk, right? So so you take it a punt. You take it a punt that yes. the, the uh, rate's going to rise. But for the last, I don't know, decade at least, fixed rates have been less than variable. And I've always wondered why. And so what you're hinting, if I've got it right, is that that's basically a marketing ploy by the institutions to lock you in. Yes, that's right. Because I mean, not not perhaps now where we've got uh, buyers returning to the market and in particular first home buyers, mm. but the last eight, nine months or so, you've only had refinancing really for, for lenders to try and capture. So mm. yeah, they've, they've used this tactic of lowering those fixed rates and that that gets them the headline figure, you know, the 1.99% or whatever it is. But if you look at the comparison rates on that, you know, like for example, the 1.99% fix, I just said the comparison rate is 3.61. So that's how much the variable rate leaps up, which of course you're potentially paying for the next uh, 20, 21 years, say after a four-year fix or what have you, if you don't then keep nimble and keep moving. Now, can you explain exactly what the comparison rate means and is and is calculated because there's a lot of questions around what the hell does it mean? Absolutely. So the comparison rate is what you should be using to choose your mortgage, not the the number that's up in lights uh, because that number is not an accurate reflection of the actual cost of your mortgage. So the comparison rate takes into account all the fees um, that are loaded into the front of the mortgage and along the way. So all the annual fees on package products, for example, will be factored into that. So with a package, you normally get a bit of a discount. 
off the interest rate, but you do pay these chunky annual fees, which of course bring that discount right back. So it's the comparison rate, which is apples with apples. Now, as I say, normally that captures just the impact of fees, but Veronica, you're right, because of the last decade where fixed rates have become so low, now you're seeing these comparison rates that are really um, skewed by the high variable revert rate. So again, it's a really important tool to see, well, what's the actual overall cost of this loan and is it actually a good prospect? But is there one number that a comparison, like as in an amount of borrowing amount that's financed that that comparison rate is based on? Because if you've got to add in fees, they're not, they're not a percentage of the total borrowing. So how, how do they make it relative? It is. And from memory, I think it's $150,000 and I think it's over a 15-year loan term. So it's $150,000 borrowing a loan over a 15-year loan term. That's tiny. The interest rate's based on uh, 150. The loan term doesn't really matter too much. And the problem with it, I, comparison rates are great because it allows people to understand that it's not just an interest rate that you're paying. You're paying fees on top of that. And some loans have higher fees than others. And if you had a $150,000 loan, the comparison rate would be perfect to look at. The problem with comparison rates is that, uh, especially if you're talking capital cities, et cetera, people are borrowing a lot more than 150000 So the fees are fixed and so the comparison rate will drop dramatically. That's um, a really good point, yeah. And your loan gets bigger. It's um, a really good point, yeah. The problem is as well, that most banks, the fees are pretty, uh, you know, similar. You know, you're talking about three, $400 a year for most package loans at every bank. Um and so ultimately what you should be, if you, especially if you're buying more than 150000 is that the interest rate is what matters, the discount off the standard variable rate. And that's, that's the key number that will drive it because yeah. whether you're paying three fifty or four fifty on a package fee won't yeah. matter near as much versus a 20 basis points cheaper lower rate. Yeah, and the revert interest rate as well as, as we've been talking about. And that's, look, a really good argument for raising that, that comparison rate, um, you know, default mm. amount because I think it was said a long time ago when it's become, you know, quite irrelevant. It, it is interesting and you've, you've mentioned this um, about people confusing what you own versus what you owe. You know, if you're looking at keeping up with the Joneses, and this is yeah. something obviously in our society that's a bit of an issue and has been obviously for decades otherwise, that's saying, wouldn't yeah. have come about. Yeah. And, and I know myself, you know, you look around at people driving flash cars and, and certainly when I was a sales agent, you get vendors saying to me, oh, isn't that great? All the BMWs and Audis have just turned up. Yeah. Yeah, well, they're probably all on loans and that means yeah. that they can't borrow as much. And, you yeah. you know, you, maybe someone driving a Yaris actually might be able to afford your home better. Um, it, it's oh, not necessarily least in illusory, you know. You, you, you've got to look around the school car park and go, you know what, they probably don't own any of those cars. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> in my 1996 Celica, I can guarantee you it's paid off. <laughs> yeah. they bought it in the first place. <laughs> So, and, and and this is the thing that, and it's certainly, you know, you, you, the barbecue talk around investors, oh, you know, I've got six investment properties or whatever, yeah, you know, yeah. and, and this whole idea. And I've had clients come to me and say, oh, I feel like a failure because I've only got one, my own home. And I'm like, yeah, you know, when you're comparing with the top line, you know, people go, oh, I've got these properties. You don't know their debt structure. You don't actually know whether they're quality properties anyway. You you absolutely do not know whether they own their own home. You don't know any for of that sure. stuff. Yeah, and for sure. So why do you, you know, I guess, you know, you've interviewed all these people. How have they sort of got over that, that keeping up with the Jonesism um, mm. mindset? Yeah. Well, I love the quote uh, by a famous English actor, Quentin Crisp, which is, don't keep up with the Joneses, drag them down to your level. And <laughs> I, think that's, I think that's part of the kind of mentality of a lot of the people who've paid off their mortgages. You know, they've not looked out around them they've looked at their own at their own house at their own issues and just going you know what we want that security we want that that roof over our heads that's going to make our lives the most relaxed that they could be and they've really focused on that like to the exclusion of what anyone else is doing um you know most of them have very very run-of-the-mill cars um i mean everyone that i spoke to certainly takes holidays because that's your life is for living kind of rewards along the way but they might not be the, you know, they might not go to Austria skiing for a month. They might, you know, <laughs> do something that's more, you know, like caravan holiday around Queensland, which is perfect right now since, you know, that everyone's trapped in their own state for <laughs> the time being. Um, or oh, lots of us are anyway. So it's a matter of just finding that balance that works for you, I think. And it's that's not going to come from looking at any external factors and any fancy car 
you know, that you might see anywhere. You don't need it. Yeah, it's it's um it is funny, isn't it? I heard a saying: "It's don't compare your insides with somebody else's outsides." Yeah, yeah, absolutely. As you say, like you know, you don't know what someone else's financial structure are, and it's very possible that a lot of the people that are you know have these shiny fancy things don't own them at all. You know, if you've got six properties and uh, you know they're doing well for yourself, you don't go around and start bragging about it to you. you yeah. yeah. You, know, you just kind of be a bit humble and say, well, yeah, you used to be doing well financially. I don't need to tell the world. But people are probably saying six are probably the ones that are uh, probably haven't got six, probably got four, and they're probably um, not great properties and they're, you know, yeah. dead up their eyeballs just because they can go to a barbecue and say they've got four. I mean, so. it, it could be a house of cards, you know. One vacancy yeah. might destroy the whole thing. Like you just don't know what people what people have committed to. But do they really have to go camping and never go skiing? This is a thing, isn't it? <laughs> No, and, and again, it's it's what it's moderation, not deprivation. You know, it's what works for you and and what you value more. Because you know, if you if you've costed and calendared, okay. So I have a free app that goes with with my book, and it um, automatically calculates your saving if you up stumps and stump up. So mm. it shows you. It's called My Mortgage Freedom Date, and it literally shows you what date you could be mortgage free. And there's a date slider. Say if you want to be mortgage free by your fiftieth birthday, you can use that date slider to figure out what it would take to hit that goal. And that's incredibly motivating. And that once you know that actual date, like I was talking about the number savings being motivating, once you actually know the potential freedom date as well, then that can be factored into every other decision you make with your money. Mm. So you can weigh that. So you know if you go skiing in Austria, okay, that maybe is going to push your debt freedom date back six months and cost you an extra $10,000 in interest. But maybe it's worth it because there's a special, you know, celebration or something. And you just have to weigh those things up from a position of, of you know, being informed of knowledge. Eyes wide open. People need that. Uh, oh, totally. Whether you're, um, yeah, whatever, if you set a date on it, then. Oh, a mortgage seems like a mountain, you know. It's the biggest mm. debt anyone will ever have. But if you realise how much smaller you can make that mountain and how much more money you can keep for yourself and how much better life could be, then it becomes uh, really, really tantalising to target it. That's a cool idea. I like that tool. I'm going to go and play with it. Yeah, <laughs> check it out. Totally free. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't read the book, which um, um, we'll do, but, I mean, have you got parts in there where, um, you know, putting my financial planning sort of background hat on, yeah. uh, the, putting more money into your super versus paying off your mortgage because that is ultimately where a lot of people are at. They're like, well, I've got a job. I'm getting, you know, my superannuation guarantee is, you know, 9.5%, but I could put up to 25000 in. Should I put another five ten grand into my super fund or pay off my mortgage? Have you, have you kind of done there is a little on that. And of course, mathematically, it's better to put money um, into uh, your superannuation because you yeah. get it pre-tax and you only lose the 15% super contribution yeah. tax. And there's it's a tax-privileged uh, environment as well. Mm. So mathematically, the numbers fall in favour of super. Or uh, there's also the interest because like if you put off your home loan and you're, getting, what, two, you're paying 2% interest and if your super is returning... Yeah. Seven, that's there's right. a gain as well, right? That's that's right, exactly. So if you look at it on that pure numbers level, yes, super is very, very smart. But if you look at it from a security point of view and a freedom point of view, then the mortgage wins every time. So mm. it's, it's, again, one of those things that you have to decide the right split for you and that's really about your kind of own risk pro- profile and investing temperament. Mm. Balance, isn't yeah. it? I think it's not a one-size-fits-all, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> when they're in their 20s, 30s, they've just gone and put every single dollar they've saved hard for into a deposit and to pay stamp duty, which yes. they may not ever have to do again. But anyway, we'll talk about that. But uh, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Big mortgage, it's like this is the danger zone, I call it. It's like... You know, if anything happens in the next, you know, especially in the next 12 months, you know, they've got very, sometimes very little in the offset account because um, they've had to use it for a deposit or pay a buyer's agent. And so, yeah. Um, and then there's potentially a life change with a family, you know, around the corner. And so that that period there, like it's, it's hard to justify, oh, actually optimal for you right now is putting more money into your super fund because yes. there's nothing in the offset account. Like if something goes wrong and so mm. but once you've got that buffer and you start getting really ahead of your mortgage and, you can see this sort of mortgage freedom date that you talk about. Um, that's where, you know, you've got to start to consider the more in super as an option just because yes. the benefits of putting into super versus paying interest at 2%. 
uh, it's yes. hard to say that you've got your buffer, so really yes. super is a better idea. But it, it's, yeah, different stages, it, it kind of. Absolutely. And, and, I mean, that's, that's compounding working in the other way. So when you borrow money, you get compounding uh, working against you. So, you know, the, the quicker you pay off that loan, the, the shorter it is, the less you'll pay in interest. Conversely, the earlier you start saving, the longer mm. you're saving, the less you have to actually save yourself. Like I mm. tell the high school kids, you know, like wearing my, flipping over to my investment hat now rather than my debt reduction hat. I tell the, house, the high school kids, you know, you save $6 a day um, from now and by the time you're 65, you'll be a millionaire and it will only have cost you $6 a day or $190 a month. So if you flip that to a, to a 55-year-old, they have to save $5,500 a month. Um, even a 45 year old has to save, I think it's nearly $2,000 a month. Mm. So, and, and what's really beautiful about that, what really brings home the value of compounding and that long, um, long tail of investing or saving is that that, that, um, high school graduate has only had to stump up $100,000 of that million dollars mm. because all the rest is compounded returns. It's simply time to earn returns on returns on returns on returns. It's just, it's the time factor. So yeah, the savings you want to do for as long as possible, the debt you want to do for as short as possible. And it's about coming up with the split that's going to make that possible for you in terms of what you earn. It's poetry, isn't it? <laughs> well, thanks. <laughs> I might use that. I might write that. <laughs> just yeah, the compound always look amazing when you um, yeah. and but a lot of people look at them too late. <laughs> No, well, yeah. no, I know. I'm constantly going, start now, start now, start now. <laughs> because it's just so much cheaper. That's that's the yeah. thing. And again, if you pay off your mortgage as quick as possible, it's just so much cheaper. So it just means you make more money and you save more money. So if you can execute those two things to perfection, then life is going to be amazing. Now, isn't, I actually read an article somewhere that, that, you know, as if a baby, once a baby was born, a dollar a day was put away, they'd end up with a million dollars. So basically you've got yeah. that 17 or 18 years between when they were born and when they, yeah. they finish school, it goes from $1 to $6. Yes, um, well, that's right. Yes, that's it. exponentially more expensive. I'm the 65, it'd probably only be 200000 but we'll, it's better than uh, not having a million dollars though, isn't it? <laughs> so there's two points this week where it's very, um, they've been a little bit, uh, the debt conversation, uh, they've probably been a little bit on your camp, Nicole, in terms of very a bit risk averse around debt and wanting to pay their mortgage off. And um, I've had to sort of stop them both. And it gets a little bit tricky being a broker because, um, you know, they might be thinking, oh, he wants me to take out more debt so he gets paid more. And there is that conflict. Yeah, yeah, which is, which is a tough one for you to deal with, you know. Yeah, and but in these situations, um, both of them were trying to keep their mortgages down um, which makes sense, but both of them were moving to suburbs and areas and types of properties that ultimately they didn't want to live in mm. um, long term, and ah, uh, so they were own kind of yeah moves. Yeah, and so yes, on the one side they could say we've only got an eight hundred thousand dollar mortgage, but when they have to wake up each morning and they walk out the door and then they have to commute to work, yeah. And- uh, their friends are closer to the city and their family, way a bit further away from their family. You know, how, do you, how does the happiness of a home and potentially a bit more debt play into the other alternative is taking out a lower debt um, just so you can pay it off? Like how do you mm. manage that sort of conflict? Um, so I would say that the lifestyle factor of a property decision is more important than how fancy it is. Um, yep. and, and if you make those choices based on, you know, how convenient and good life is going to be, um, in that particular property, then I think that's going to be the property that's going to rise in value more anyway, because you can always improve a home. If it's in the right spot, you can always improve it down the track. You can always make mm. sensible decisions to invest in that home, um, without overcapitalizing kind of thing down the track. But if it's the wrong, place if it's in the wrong place then that's going to be a potential difficulty for you in terms of the value of it that's, i mean that's pretty clever to be honest because what you've said is there you've said um you know focus on uh potentially getting in the right suburb and getting a house that's maybe not the you know everything um, yeah. but good property that you can add value to um yeah. and that's going to be a better investment then potentially you know going a bit further out spending a bit less but then maybe getting a nice shiny property that's not going to grow in value as much um and that, you know, that lifestyle factor about being close to friends and things like that, like that's, you know, that's everything, that stuff, because it's not just about money. It's about, you know, enjoyment. 
Well, that's living. it. Yeah. That's exactly it. I mean, it, one thing that, um, you know, I've met many people over the years that have felt trapped because they've made the wrong decision and yeah. um, getting in yeah. and out of the wrong property is uh, very, very expensive and you can have a small yeah. mortgage, you can be debt-free, but then you can chew up a lot of wasted money in transaction costs. Oh, you don't want to flip a property. You want, you want to flip properties as, as infrequently as possible because of that, that expense of it at the moment. But by the same token, I mean, the stepping stone strategy is valid mm. if you buy that property in an area where it's a really good rental prospect. So it's worth looking at that in that initial decision as well, even though you might be buying your own home, because if you've paid off anything extra into offset accounts yeah. rather than directly into the loan, then you could turn it into an investment property and then use that equity to get a home in a place that you do want. So if it's tr- strategic, then that's kind of a different story. That's clever. And we did that. We, we bought with, with a view to changing that into an investment property because it was never going to contain our growing family, the little two better that we bought to start off with. Mm. We also bought only half of that. So we went in with family and we did, we, you know, we hired lawyers, we got the, the co, um, co-ownership agreement yeah. um, and we paid 50% of the market rent to my sister-in-law who owned 50% of it and then we paid off as fast as we could the 50% that we owned. So it just meant that we didn't have to have that huge mortgage straight away which you know psychologically makes it seem much more achievable to pay off. There's, there's a big benefit in that. Yeah, there's definitely ways that people can get in. And, and like you say, it's strategic and it's about knowing at the outset what your plan is so that you structure yeah. everything right in the first place and buy the right type of asset in the first place that's as well. It. And if you're, if you're kind of newlyweds who might want kids down the track, then that's the, the very crucial consideration. Now, I think it leads into what I suspect your Dumbo is going to be for us. <laughs> yeah, I think I might have given it away. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, I actually had a friend uh, come to me recently and go, I've just read your book. She goes, I've made the most massive mistake and that's why people should read it before they get their home, really. <laughs> um, yeah. But, um, of course, they're not super interested until they get the debt, the, the noose around their neck and they go, oh, how do I get rid of this? Um, <laughs> yeah, but, <laughs> which is also, you know, a good time to read it, but you got to structure it right and get the right loan to start with. So what she did was she paid off her home into its loan, mm. which makes perfect intuitive sense. It's, you know, it's the great Australian dream to actually own that home rather than just have one. It's what you would, you know, logically do. But unfortunately, it's it's fraught with danger for one thing mm. because we saw uh, during the beginning of COVID that MeBank recalculated people's redraw borrowings and sucked up a lot of that additional money into the loan itself. So yeah. it disappeared it for redraw. And that's, look, that's not unprecedented. That's happened before. CBA has done that. Yeah. Um, other institutions have done that. And it's absolutely allowed in the loan terms and conditions because you owe a big chunk of money to your lender. So if you've got extra money sitting in its loan and you get into trouble or they make a calculation mistake, which I suspect is what happened in MeBank's case, um, note that they did reverse that because they just came into so much black and indeed mm-hmm. got hauled up before a parliamentary inquiry for it. But if you pay extra into there and, you know, it, there's potential that you're not going to be able to keep meeting your repayments going forward, then the bank can totally freeze those extra repayments. You owe it a lot more than that. But the other crucial reason as well is that flexibility to turn the place into an investment property. Mm. So my friend had paid it off. She was so proud of herself. And then she went, oh, my God, I have to live in it or sell it. And it was a great mm. property. It would have been a fantastic little rental. So that is the number one Dumbo when it comes to property. And look, you know, pay it off into the offset no matter what you want to do because you don't know what's going to happen down the track. You might want to, you know, if the world returns to normal, you might take a job overseas. Anything could happen that means that you want to keep that as your kind of investment but move somewhere else with your principal place of residence. So it's all about flexibility. And it you- is options and and you know even if you need that cash later on you know mm. if something goes wrong that's a great place to stash your, your um what i call i don't know if i can swear but what i call your your holy shit fund of oh. preferably six months salary because you know shit happens right you, you can need definitely to have that swear buffer. <laughs> i love that so few places where you can swear i don't know there's i swore in the title of my book so you know <laughs> love it Love it. Um, yeah, so so keeping every dollar of cash that you can in those offsets is going to save you massive amount of money. You know, on that average loan that we've t- been talking about, that four hundred thousand dollar loan, if you can keep thirty thousand dollars of money against that loan um, in an offset account. 
for its whole loan term, that's going to actually save you $66,000 in interest and cut two and a half years off your loan. So offsets are just massively powerful for every dollar that you have to your name. You know, school fees, savings for holidays, everything should go in there, that emergency fund. I said, if you use the offset on steroid strategy, as I call it, which is actually put all your expenses on a credit card for the month with a long interest-free period, say you've got $10,000 of income, that means that you can sit on your uh, in your offset account in a specially designated offset account because you can usually hook up to, say, even 10 against a loan, so your money's not getting mixed up. It's all very clear and manageable. That's going to save you an extra $19,000. So your interest saving goes to $85,000 and you slash three years off your loan. And again, See, that, completely free. That was a question because so you can actually set up more than one offset loan, yeah. offset usually, account against the loan. Yes, yes, you can, and you give them you give them specific names. Like you know, mm. we had one that was um Bubba Booty when we got when we got pregnant, so that that was the baby saving fund, and then there's like the holiday fund and the school fees fund and the emergency, the holy shit fund, and mm-hmm. all that money's there. It's um it's very clear, it's very manageable, but it's all saving you lovely loan interest. Mm, that's a good tip. Yeah, sometimes we put like multiple offsets for clients. Some banks have got better technology than others, and mm. um, extra offset accounts is a nightmare. Um, you know, going to the bank and they only let you have one or two, and it's ah. a real loss for them. Some will let you have seven. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. The the thing I think we you definitely it's good to have more than one because uh, you know ideally if you and I sometimes think that everyone should have their day to day banking at a different bank to where their home loan is because. <laughs> look at your mortgage every day, psychological, but um, <laughs> that's a good thing for people. But yeah. I think, um, you know, if you say you've got $100,000 in your offset account, you don't want to be going getting $100 out of the bank uh, cash, if you, people do that anymore, um, and seed $100,000 because it gives you this appetite to spend. Um, whereas if you have a second offset account that maybe has $3,000 in it, um, you, you're not associating your spending to 100000 that's really interesting. Yeah, we, we certainly have a bills offset account, which is yeah much smaller than. So so I I mean you said right back at the beginning you can get a um you can get a the title to your house. I don't have the title to my house. Mm. It's one hundred percent repaid, but that loan is ongoing. So that if we needed to execute another life flip, like we left Sydney, um, gee, eight years ago and moved to the Sunshine Coast. And, you know, there was no bridging finance. There was no need to sell that place before we bought this place. There was no timing mm. issues because that offset account was packed. We just plucked it out, put it in the new house, um, borrowed a little bit more, filled that offset account as well, and then off we went, you know. So it just gives you the ultimate flexibility. Well, that's a great tip to finish on and congratulations <laughs> on your true change or sea change. And oh, thank you. It's, deli- it's, a, it's a delightful place to be stuck right now. <laughs> You're ahead of the curve, that's for sure. No, no, no. Yes, I know. I believe so. <laughs> Lots of uh, great little tips there around the debt. And I think the interesting thing is um, just having thinking about it on a deeper level and what it means to you and what you're getting for your money. Like when you're going into debt, what are you – is it worth it? Are you going to get benefit? You know, and sometimes mm. I've seen people go into more debt. Um, for example, upgrade their home, mm. uh, pay for their selling costs, and ultimately they're any happier in that new home? Potentially mm. not. Oh, look, what's what's going to get you your best life? Is it is it upsizing? Is it being debt-free? You know, only you can make those decisions. But what's important is to have a plan and to figure out when that debt freedom date is and how much money you're going to save because of it. Nicole, we're going to include the link to your website in the show notes, which is nicolesmartmoney.com, and you've generously offered a discount of 20% off the book. You can get hard copy of that. Delivered, you just have to use the code ELEPHANT, but we'll put the link in the notes. And thank you so much for that, Nicole. And uh, I do believe some people are buying it for Christmas. Yeah, they are. Look, it's um, it's really nice. I'm so heartened by all the the parents actually who are buying it for their adult children, their young adult children to sort of set them up either before they get a home loan or once they've just got one. It's really lovely. I'm inscribing all the copies so people can ask me to write whatever they want to their children as a um, Christmas present and of course signed. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Take care, guys. Brilliant. Thank you so much. We want to make you a better elephant rider and this week's elephant rider training is... This um, whole conversation around mortgage and borrowing safely and the dangers of having a mortgage or within a mortgage uh, is rather interesting, isn't it? Because there's a bit of an eye edge here because often what we say is that um, the borrow the, the risk isn't necessarily in the borrowing, it's the, what you buy with that borrowing. And there mm. are times when if you don't borrow enough, 
you're actually taking greater risk because of the type of asset that you buy. And, and Nicole did touch on that. But in this low interest rate environment, Chris, you know, what, what are the, some of the conversations you're having with clients at the moment? So I think there's two things. One, um, if the quality of the asset's not a great asset, uh, that's not great idea. So you could pay less debt, but you're not getting great assets. You're not getting the benefit of that debt. Um, so spending it, taking out a bit more debt to get a better quality asset, you'll get all the rewards. So that's the first thing I think. But taking out a lot of debt for a house in a location or even for the wrong house for your lifestyle, it could be in a good area if it's dark or it's not on a great road and it's you know not giving you the life that you want. Well, you're paying a big mortgage and not getting the lifestyle benefits that the, that, that mortgage facilitates. So I think that's never a good idea. But if you're taking out more debt to get a better quality property um, and it's going to give you the lifestyle benefits that you really want, ultimately, you'll get that money back through the better investment returns. But the thing is, with low interest rates at 2% um, and the five-year fixed rate at the moment, just about under 2%, um, there's kind of like a herd problem here where if you're the one who be a little bit conservative and say, well, I could borrow, say, 1.5, but I'm only going to go and buy a house at a million dollars. Well, if the rest of the population, the buyers out there, kind of max out and push their borrowing capacities, the people who have been a little bit more aggressive in this environment and taken on more debt, will unfortunately be the ones that get the biggest reward. So mm. you've got to be a little bit careful sort of, um, you know, when the if interest rates were 7%, everyone was apprehensive on taking out more debt, then the market's not going to potentially rise. But if people start saying, well, rates are 2%, I'm at auction, you know, it's only an extra 100000 then you'll start to see price rises, especially for the good properties. So I'd be a little bit careful being too conservative in this environment because, you know, low rates will encourage other people to be uh, more aggressive. Yeah, it does. And and in fact, I, I was speaking to someone only recently who's, you know, they were potentially going to engage us to help them um, evaluate a property that they wanted that was going to auction. And, um, you know, there's a lot of tactical things that need to be taken to, into account, whether you make an offer prior, how you make that offer prior, what's a property worth, is it a good property, you know, what your other alternatives are, how likely is that property going to come up again within your price bracket, all those <laughs> sorts of things that need to be discussed and thought through. And, of course, the husband put the kibosh on it because he just said, oh, well, it doesn't really matter in this environment. Whoever's got the most amount of money is going to buy it anyway. And I'm like, oh, my God, if two people have that attitude and they go to borrow to the hilt and they go to auction, one of them is going to pay way too much. And mm. because the the focus has come away from how suitable is this property for us, how good is this property, really what's a reasonable premium and, and it, you know, am I prepared to pay over what what recent sales might indicate? You know, all of those sort of limiting and and protection, you know, buffer, they're a buffer against, you know, just paying too much. No, all of that just goes out the window because, it, you know, his attitude is, well, you know, I can borrow this amount of money, other people can borrow this amount of money, whoever's, you know, basically got that bit more is going to buy it. And I just thought, oh, dear, that's that's Well, that's money. what happens in booms. So, uh, you know, you basically let's say your budget's 1.5, that's the maximum you can borrow and you start shopping in a place for 1.3 um, and you start missing out because the market's moving. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden you be a little bit patient. Oh, no, it's not worth that. And then all of a sudden you're back paying your 1.5. So, yeah. um, and so very quickly, and most people in the suburb have got very similar borrowing capacities, hence why they're in that suburb. Yeah. Um, and so all of a sudden everyone's capping out and that's what pushes the prices. And then those buyers at 1.5 have to go to a different suburb, et cetera. So, um, yeah, and all you're going to need is a few months of decent sales um, for that FOMO to kick in. Um, and arguably it's already kicking in within some suburbs. So, Well, um, yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. I've seen it at auction and it's there's times to do it, there's times not to do it. And I think that that's, that's the thing that when market gets hot, buyers get in this mode of you've got to do it for everything and that's where the danger lies. Yeah, exactly. And you want to know uh, ways to stop having to do that, mm. right? So there are strategies, the techniques, using buyers agents, you know, getting access to it early, all these sort of things. Try to really use those rather than just going to auction and assume you got to pay the most. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> In our next episode, we're looking ahead to 2030 and that's a brave thing to do in an era when uh, not many predictions come true. And in fact, we do our uh, annual Google forecast report to uh, document that. So we're going to brave it and we're joined by futurist Rocky Scopoliti 
who has surveyed a lot of Australian professionals and got their understandings and their beliefs about what the next decade holds. Join in to find out where the highest degree of optimism is and you might be surprised. If you're looking to buy your dream home or an investment property in Sydney's inner west, eastern suburbs or North Shore, my team and I can help you buy without regrets. Reach out via my website, gooddeeds.com.au. If you're looking to buy your first home, thinking of upgrading into a new one or purchasing an investment property anywhere in Australia, my team would love to carefully guide you on this journey and most importantly, get the finance right. Reach out via our website, wealthful.com.au. If you're a first home buyer and you don't want to miss a step with this most important purchase, join me on Wednesday nights at 7.30pm Sydney time on the Home Buyer Academy Facebook page for live Q&A. Check out the website, homebuyeracademy.com.au. Every month, my team hosts a webinar on what we are seeing at the banks, the best rates, changing policy and their service. We also share the latest insights we hear and read that are impacting the property market direction. Check out wealthful.com.au. Thanks for joining us. We'd love to see you again. And remember, don't be a dumbo.